Tonight we have our my friend and our intern Derek Nelson is going to uh, present God's word for us tonight. And um, he's loved and he deserves it. Um, but uh, in case you don't know, Derek didn't go to Appalachian. Derek went to Furman. And he's going to tell you more about that. But what the REF internship is, is it's an opportunity for people who've graduated from college to serve RUF for two or three years. And what Derek does is he um, hangs out with freshman guys. He hangs out with guys that are sort of on the edge of the ministry that really don't know their place or trying to figure out everything out. He gets coffee with them. And uh, he tries to be an older brother and sort of a mentor to them. Derek's done a wonderful job. Derek, an intern can be a uh, drag sometimes. Um, I've never had any of their drags, but Derek has been wonderful. He's been fantastic. And I'm really proud of you, Derek, and proud that you're up here to do this today. And I'm going to stop talking before I get emotional. So um, anyway, but it might be something that some of you guys feel like, hey, when I graduate, this might be something I want to do. And I would love to talk to you about that. It's really a cool experience. Okay, I did it. So you should do it. All right, so we're continuing to go through the book of Exodus. If you don't know about Exodus, um, to this point, God has brought his people out of Egypt. They were in slavery there, and now they're wandering in the wilderness. And here they are in the wilderness, and they are attacked by another group of people named the Amalekites. All your Amalekite action here tonight. Okay, Exodus chapter 17. If you'll read with me, this is God's word. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Um, thank you, Chris. It's really um, an honor to be here tonight. I'm so glad y'all came out despite hearing the intern was preaching. I know that makes some of you nervous. Makes me nervous. Um, and obviously, um, we, we thank you, Chris, for all you do. Um, I'm well aware of how hard it is to prepare a sermon now. It takes a lot of work, and we appreciate you. So I wore the honorary black polo with the Wendy's sponsor tonight. Um, if you're new and you haven't been around much, uh, Chris kind of introduced me, but my name's Derek Nelson. I am the RUF intern here. Um, and he mentioned that I did not graduate from App State. Sometimes I wish I had. I love y'all so much. And he already made me emotional, so it's bad. Um, but I, I went to the Furman University. It's a wonderful school. It, it used to be App State's rival, if y'all didn't know that. And it doesn't make much sense because if you take Furman, you have 2,600 people versus your App State, what are we, like 18,000 now? <laughs> Which is quite a discrepancy in the numbers there. Um, but y'all are, are different in other ways, too. Like, 
as I've been here, and Chris mentioned this before I came, um, but y'all are very cause-driven. You're very aware of the community around you, and you serve each other in the community just so well. Um, and I'm just so thrilled to be a part of that, and I've been humbled to watch y'all um, serve the community. And Furman has some of that, right? Um, we have a, a lot of service that happens, but Furman is more known as kind of the academically driven school, right? We're extremely academically driven almost to a fault. Um, some might call us elitist, and you wouldn't be too far off the mark. I thought I was really smart, and then I came here um, and realized I'm not really that smart. Um, yeah, so at Furman, we're really proud of ourselves. We think we're great. Um, and we, we love the accomplishments that we've done. Like the, the faculty and the students and the alumni, they produce a lot of great stuff. And one of the things that we have produced, and you might have heard of it, is called an app called the Yik Yak. And believe it or not, the Yik Yak is the spawn of Furman students, the demon spawn of Furman students. Um, and it was actually developed about the time I was in school. And some of my friends know the people that, that developed it. So you're like two degrees from Kevin Bacon. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, but Yikyak, Yikyak's a fascinating app. Um, there's a lot of things I like about it. Like some of you know that some of the funniest people are on Yikyak. And I like to call them the shy funny people because like they're not funny when you know them, but they like to test their jokes on Yik Yak. So they, they, they put it on Yik Yak, and if it flops, it's fine, right? Nobody has to know. Um, but if it does really well, you're like, that's me with the 200 likes on that joke. That was my joke. Um, yeah, and if you don't know Yik Yak, for those of you who don't know Yik Yak, Yik Yak is an app that's basically an anonymous Twitter. It's like you, you post, but your name's not attached to the post, and it only goes to people around you. So... That, that kind of makes for an interesting, like, social experiment. Um, and we did a lot of studies at Furman on Yik Yak because we're so proud of ourselves. Um, and one of the things we, we learned is that people who are anonymous and have no social standing with anybody can, like, organize events. Um, they can organize, like, uprisings. I think there's been some, like, riots organized by it. Um, one time... We were, in, yeah, right. we, were, we were in an auditorium, and it was actually a Yik Yak event. And the speaker was speaking, and he was just so boring. And so somebody in the crowd organized a coughing fit, right? And so, like, within two minutes, everybody in the room has bronchitis. And it was so bad, the guy had to, like, leave the stage because he couldn't speak over the coughing. And I, I don't recommend that. I don't think that's very nice. Um, I may or may not have been a part of that. Um, yeah. um, but there's another, there's another thing about Yik Yak that I think some of you know um, very personally. Um, Yik Yak is 90% of the time not used for funny jokes. And it's not used to organize things that are good. 90% of the time it's used to demean and to insult and to hurt and some of you might have had that done to you, and some of you might have participated in that. And some of the darkest things I've ever read have come out of Yik Yak. Um, I've seen people threaten to kill other people. Um, I've seen people encourage students to commit suicide because they believe they're not worth anything. 
Um, and that should really sink in because Yik Yak it is, is a place where the evil of the human heart goes unchecked. Um, and the more I understand the darkness in Yik Yak, I took it off my phone, right? But that's not enough. Like, I wish it didn't exist. And it's something I'm not proud of that Furman has developed. Um, I think some of you all, I think all of you know um, that there's something in your life that you wish didn't exist, um, that you wish were destroyed. Um, Some of you have had things happen to you or have things about yourself that have caused you a lot of pain. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a habit that you can't break. Maybe it is an idea or a cause that is that hurts someone around you or hurts you or hurts a lot of people. Uh, maybe it's like a group like ISIS or the Boko Haram who are beheading children on a regular basis. Or maybe it's a person that you love that has caused you so much pain and you don't know what to do about it. Um, if you had the privilege of coming with us to Chattanooga this week, it was awesome. Go next year. It um, has impacted me in incredible ways. The, the people there are just amazing. But if you went with us this week, you, you really got to witness some of the forms of oppression that are still with us in the U.S. Um, there, there is still racism. There is still classicism. Got a hair in my mouth. <laughs> Should have manbunned it. Um, there is still social and economic oppression, right? They're still real, and some of you have experienced that. Some of you have been rejected because of the color of your skin. Um, some of you have been rejected because of the status of your home, or because society or friends see you as burdens, right? Or perhaps you've done this to other people, and I know I'm definitely guilty of that. And to understand what this passage tonight is about, you have to understand that God, too, has enemies, right? And he has experienced these things. He empathizes with your struggle. But you also have to understand that we, outside of God's grace, are the enemies of God, that have hurt him so deeply. We are the enemies of God. But God, by his grace, has chosen a people for himself that he promised not to destroy, despite the fact that we are all his enemies. But why, you might be asking, it may not make sense to you, and that's what we're going to look at tonight. So this semester we've been looking through the book of Exodus, if you haven't been with us. And uh, what is Exodus? Exodus is a story, but it's more than that. Exodus, to put it in a phrase, is God's summary of the larger story of our salvation. Right? So far we've seen in Exodus, we've seen God choose a people for himself in Abraham. He leads them to Egypt, in which they kind of experience an Eden, where they prosper for a while. Uh, and they benefit Egypt, and Egypt benefits them. But then a new pharaoh arises who has forgotten who Israel is, um, and he enslaves them in one of the most brutal slavery systems we've ever seen, right? The Israelites are stripped of their identities, and they are forced to do hard labor every day. Um, But God enters into that, 
and he rescues them. And we have seen through Chris's preaching that God is in control, right? He came and rescued his people. And now we find Israel wandering in the desert. And they're weary, they're tired, they're complaining a lot. And out of nowhere, we have this group called the Amalekites, who are a nomadic group based in southern Palestine. Um, And they attack these helpless Israelites. And Deuteronomy 25 tells us that they actually attack from the rear and start slaughtering the people that are falling behind the group before they actually go and attack the main body, intending to destroy them. And we expect God to react at this point. Um, But he does something that might seem kind of strange to us. He tells Moses to tell Joshua, okay, Joshua, go lead the counterattack. Right? I want you to go fight the Amalekites at the front line. But then he says to Moses, okay, I want you to go stand on this hill over there, and I want you to put your hands in the air and make them stay there. Make them stay there. <laughs> all I do is win, 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 no matter what. But, but literally, like, he tells Moses to put his arms in the air, and when his arms are in the air, they are winning the battle. But when they are down, the Amalekites start winning. And that's a little weird, right? We don't really understand what's going on there. And some preachers, I think some of you have heard sermons where um, we've made this an allegory for Christ on the cross because you have Moses with his arms outstretched. He's got somebody on his left and somebody on his right holding him up. And, And Jesus has his arms outstretched on the cross and he's got a thief on his left and on his right. And when those arms are up, God is winning the battle. I'm not writing that off. I think there's probably some truth to that if we were to look at the Old Testament through the eyes of Jesus, like he tells us. Um, But I think more than likely, God is simply using this as a way to let Moses know and to let Israel know and to let Amalek know that God is the one in control of the battle and that God is the one doing the fighting. But here's the question that I think is even harder for us to understand. Why does God promise to destroy, utterly destroy Amalek? All right, let's read together what God promises in verse 14. He says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And this is probably very hard for you to hear. I know it's hard for me. Some of you have probably seen the movie The Revenant by now. Don't worry, no spoilers, unless you haven't seen the trailer. Um, Which, shame on you, it's a great trailer. Uh, But you should know that Leonardo DiCaprio plays a character in the film named Hugh Glass. right? And if you know anything about the film, the famous scene is when Glass gets mauled by a bear one of the most horrific scenes I've ever seen in film, but it wins Leo that Oscar. One clap for Leo. Good. That was awesome. (laughs) It was well deserved. It was awesome. (laughs) Y'all are silly. Um, You can probably guess, if you haven't seen the film, that Leo gets mauled by the bear because he gets in the way of the mother bear and her cubs. Right? And it's in the bear's nature to defend her children. And you can probably see where I'm going with this. Why did God promise to utterly decimate 
Amalek because they got between God and his children. Right? Listen, why does God destroy Israel's enemies always? Because they are trying to get between God and his plan of salvation. But this is the question in your mind. What makes Israel so special? Here's what you need to understand. God chose Israel to be special. That's the answer. They were the only ones in the world not doomed to the wrath that everyone deserved. If you hear nothing else tonight, I want you to hear this. The Bible tells us we all deserve to be destroyed because we are all God's enemies, the ones that cause him so much pain. But listen, Israel was special because God made them to be special, not because they were. Christians are special because God made them to be special, not because they were. And at this point, uh, many of you have seen The Walking Dead, I hope. And I'm about to make some enemies tonight when I tell you I hate that show. I think it's awful. I hear some grunts over there, sorry. Um, But let me tell you why, I'll explain myself. Um, I hate it because the characters are just the worst choice for characters. They're awful. They're whiny, they complain, they're not very good at killing the slowest enemy humans have ever seen, right? Walking zombies, right? And you stab it in the head and it's dead, but it always eats them because they're not paying attention. They're idiots. Uh, But if it were me writing the script, I probably would have chosen, you know, like SEAL Team 6, because they would kick some butt, right? They would just, oh, it would be amazing. Um, And the show would be over so quick, because they would have totally destroyed all the zombies by season 2. But for some reason, like, all the military or groups have been destroyed by zombies, which I don't buy. I think that's stupid. Um, I don't even watch it that much, but my roommate does. I don't know if he's here. Hey, Jacob, wherever you are. Um, It doesn't make sense to us why the author, God, has chosen Israel to be in his story because they are terrible, right? The first thing they do out of Egypt is they build themselves an idol. (laughs) That's literally the first thing they do. They forget who rescued them in the first place. And it doesn't make sense, but we do know that God would use this messy people to bring about the one that would fulfill God's plan for salvation. And his name is Jesus. If you're not a Christian today, I want you to ask yourself, what is keeping you from becoming a part of this story? Christians are not special people outside of God's grace. We are messy. And let me tell you why all this talk about God's story matters and why it should give you so much Hope. Israel is led by God out of Egypt towards a promise, promised land. But in our passage, they aren't there yet, right? Listen, Amalek is not totally defeated. We'll read later. Amalek's not totally defeated until Israel defeats them at the promised land, even though God has promised to destroy them. Likewise, Jesus has rescued his people from the slavery of sin and death. But we, like Israel, have not yet reached the end of the story. Remember those enemies we talked about earlier, the things in your life you wish were destroyed, whether it be yik-yak or those addictions 
or that relationship or the fact that you can't get out of bed in the morning because you hate yourself so much. That's an enemy. And Jesus promises that the memory of those things will be utterly wiped out. In World War II, the Allies took the beaches of Normandy, France, in one of the most bloody and gruesome battles the world has ever seen, which you know it is called D-Day, right? And it was there that the victory over Germany was essentially won, and the power of the Germans was broken. Germany was not going to win the war at that point. But it wouldn't be until months later, after grueling battle after battle after struggle, that the Allies would finally get to Berlin and finally end the war, and we call that V-Day, Victory Day. Right? If you are a Christian, you are between D-Day and V-Day. Jesus has already won the victory. D-Day has happened. And the power of sin, death, and Satan is broken. It's done. But now we are fighting our way to the final victory with Jesus at our head. And if you are in Jesus, nothing will get in the way of God's plan for salvation because he is in control. And he does not abandon his children. Romans 8.38 says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, Christians. Many of you worry about your salvation on a daily basis. I know I do. That your sin is too much for God to forgive, and that somehow you have to make it up to God. You have to convince Him that you're worth it, but I'm here to tell you that you're not. And you can never be worth God's attention because you have hurt Him too much, you have hurt others too much, and you have hurt yourself far too much. But God doesn't choose you because you're better than anyone else. He chooses messy people because he is writing a story filled with messy characters. And we call that grace. Jesus did not die and rise again for you so that he could go up into heaven and hope that you believe in him enough or are good enough to earn his salvation. Jesus is the author of salvation he is the author of our story. And sometimes, like Joshua, we are asked to lead the charge against Amalek. Or, like Moses, we are asked to hold our arms above our head and it doesn't make sense. Right? Or there is someone we love that is sick and dying of cancer and we don't understand why. But God uses Moses and he used Joshua and he will use the hard things in your life as a part of the story. And God asks his people to look up and to raise their arms to him and trust him because he is the author of the story. And here's the deal. The story has a happy ending. If you're in Christ, feel a joy of knowing that your salvation was finished 2,000 years before you were even born. Right? But the story is still being written, and he will use you as one of the messy characters. 
And one day it will all come together at the very end. And the writer will write the last sentence and he will place the last period. But then he will start a new book where the old enemies are forgotten and where the messy people are made new. And if you don't know Jesus, he invites you into the story. He says, come and be a part of God's family because I love you. And if you are his, he will lead you to the promise of peace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the truth in your gospel. Thank you that you are in control of the story of our lives and that you are a good author. And you have chosen messy people and messy characters to be a part of this grand story of salvation And sometimes it doesn't make sense and the plots don't make sense. But you've promised us that the end will be a good ending. And Christ will come back for his people. And we will enjoy being with you in everlasting life. And we thank you for that, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.